Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And welcome to episode 105 of McChesney Unchained, coming to you from the bar and studio down here at DNVR. I am your host, Matt McChesney. Uh, before we get started today, uh, I just want to give a huge shout out to our title sponsor, DraftKings. And look, if you like the UFC, then check out UFC 259 this weekend. And be sure to uh, check out all the action with of the three title fights taking place in one night. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC, is putting you in the center of this weekend's title fight with 100 to 1 odds on either fighter to land a punch during the title fight. One punch. That's going to happen. I think you're going to win. So, pick either the main event fighter to land a punch during this weekend's UFC 259 bout, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 100 to 1 odds. Just bet $1 on either fighter to land a punch, and if it happens, you will cash $100. There's no, what, there's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than put your money where your mouth is in DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if the MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds on promotions for basketball, hockey, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code DNVR when you sign up to turn one dollar into one hundred dollars. If either main event fire land a punch on Saturday, place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. The code DNVR turns $1 into $100 for either fighter to land a punch. For a limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Do you have a gambling problem? 1-800-522-4700. All right. So thanks to DraftKings for all they do for the show. And let's get back into this. So. Uh, the great Chad Brown, 15-year NFL veteran, great CU buff, and a good friend of mine joins us here on the show. We're going to get him in and out right away. So uh, we're going to bring you Chad Brown right off the bat, and we're going to talk about Buffs, Broncos, Deshaun Watson, Von Miller, pass rushing, and so much more, and uh, uh, an homage to the Bay City man, man Kevin Green, uh, who played with, with Chad and, and unfortunately passed away a couple months ago. So that's going to be kick-ass. So we'll bring on Chad Brown right now on uh, episode 105 of McChesney Unchained. And it is my honor and pleasure to bring on a uh, great Buffalo and a, a 15-year NFL vet and a guy that I'm honored to call a, a friend and brother, uh, Mr. Chad Brown, joins us here on the show to talk all things Buffs, Broncos, Von Miller, Kevin Green, and pass rushing. And this man did just that for 15 years in the National Football League, 79 career sacks, 
uh, and one of the cleanest spin moves I've ever seen on a dime and gaining ground at the same time. Chad Brown joins us here in episode 105. CB, what's up, brother? What's happening, my friend? Uh, hopefully, you know, this <laughs> crazy year we've had with all this craziness, uh, hopefully you and yours are still doing well, man. Everything's good, you know, and I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm too, too blessed to be stressed, bro. I can't, I can't lie. So, um, all the best to you and your family. Thanks for uh, taking the time to do this and, and talk to Unchained Nation down here at DNVR. Chad, the buff schedule just came out, mm-hmm. okay? And they, they open on Friday night with UNC, and that, that should be a mop. And I'm, I'm excited for UNC to come down to Boulder and, and Ed McCaffrey's team, but we should mop them. The A&M game is, is week two. They play Minnesota week three. Then they've got a great home schedule. They're, you know, the Pac-12 schedule is what it is. They get Washington at home. They get SC at home. With this veteran defense and that schedule, how do you feel about the bus next year? We're going to be able to go to Folsom, bro, and, like, watch games. Well, number one, I'm excited about that. You know, this last season was the season I felt the most, uh, you know, disconnected from the Buffs in a long time. Uh, even, you know, when I was doing all my other broadcasting stuff, at some point during the season, I would get to go up to practice and I would get to, you know, see those kind of things in, in person and or even just be within a facility. So you get a chance to know uh, the, the culture and really get a feel for the coaching staff and the players and all that. So uh, this year I, I was just a, a distant fan like most Buff fans. And um, it's kind of difficult to, to, to tell where they, they really are. Um, can't help but be incredibly impressed with what Carl Durrell put together last year. Now it seems like this year he's turning into his team, uh, you know, kind of revamping some of the coaching staff and all that. Obviously in year two you get a chance to begin to work on those things that you just didn't have the, the time or bandwidth in, in year one. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing what he does. And as far as that schedule, uh, Texas A&M could be a, a tremendous opportunity. That's just going to be a well-prepared, good SEC football team. Um, and they start the Pac-12 schedule pretty tough with uh, USC and Arizona State, uh, two of the top teams in, that, in the same uh, division as the Buffs. Uh, so that's also going to be telling. So those three games in, in, in a four-game span are really probably going to, to you know, give the, the arrow for the rest of the season where that Buffs team is going to go next week, next year. And don't forget about P.J. Flex Minnesota team. They're, they're a year yeah, coming yeah. off I'm 10, 11 wins. They were great, too. So, look, this schedule is daunting, and that's the way I like it. I mean, when you played under Coach McCartney, you guys played big boys damn near every weekend. That's one of the reasons why you won a national title and got to play for it. When I was there with Coach Barnett, I mean, my junior year, I remember we opened CSU, Washington State, UCLA, Florida State Conference. So, <laughs> like, we're, we're rolling. We're not playing cupcakes. And, and I'm not saying UNC is one. That's a great game. Would, would you rather see them reschedule that and, and schedule a CSU? I, I want to go to Fort Collins, bro. Of, of course. But, you know, uh, I always say I'm a, Col- I'm a fan of Colorado football. Bus always I love number it. one. But, you know, if it's the Rams having success, if the Falcons are having success, if it's Northern Colorado having success, great, fantastic. You know, CSU Pueblo, I don't, I don't care. I'm, I'm down for Colorado football. Um, so the opportunity to keep the game in state and keep growing the brand of football in state, which, you know, a, a tip of the cap to you, my friend, for what you do at you, uh, Six-Year-Old friend. Strength. And you'll certainly have to recognize that as part of the growth of Colorado football. Um, so if it can't be CSU – and to play another Colorado team is always going to be fine for me. And I, I love the fact that Ed McCaffrey's up there. I think he, he made the right choice going up there and, and, and trying to rebuild that program. And, 
you know, if they get some support up there in Greeley, there's absolutely no reason why they can't be ultimately successful in the big sky. So that's going to be a great game. Let's go back to the Texas A&M thing before we move forward. Conference is what it is. I'm excited about the non-conference schedule because they didn't get one last year. Um, it looks like they're going to, with every knock on wood with COVID and everything else, but it looks like we're going to be able to play a full schedule and actually, you know, have a football season and go to Folsom. So there's my question. I understand that you want to max out capacity and make money, but A&M was in the big 12 when I was there. And every time they came to Folsom, we beat the hell out of them every time. And I, I'm go, I, if I'm, if I'm coach Wilson, the defensive coordinator up there now and Carl Durrell and those guys knowing the history, that's what I'm using. They, they wanted to change the game to sports authority or, or in, in whatever it's called. And, and because they don't want to come to Folsom, any motivation to go beat their ass is, is what I'm looking for. That's the barometer game for this football team because they are super fast. Yeah. Now, obviously, they'll miss uh, Kellen Mond, who's been a big part of their success over the last couple of years. I've called a couple of Texas A&M games, um, uh, saw them uh, go to Alabama last year, saw them play uh, Clemson a couple of years back in the, in the second game of the season. So I've seen them play some top flight competition. They aren't to the same level as Alabama or, or, or Clemson as a team or a program, but they're certainly a top flight SEC football team. And to your point, uh, for the Buffs to be able to, you know, sometimes you know when you're building a program, uh, it's, and I am certainly not predicting losses, hoping for losses, but you know, when you're facing a higher level of competition, let's put it that way, uh, in Texas A&M, uh, then, then what your normal opponent is for if you're a boss Pac-12 team. Um, and you're able to go toe-to-toe. And you necessarily don't win the ballgame, but you go toe-to-toe. There's a tremendous amount of confidence and pride and program building that comes from that. So I know there are probably some bus fans who look at those three games in, in the first five games that, that we talked about, AM, USC, and ASU, and look at that and go, you know, man, that's, that's a tough hill to climb. At the same time, you know, to use that as motivation and as a stepping stone to gain and build your program if you're Coach Terrell, um, uh, even if you don't win the game, those are going to be important games. And, and I was up there on Friday, and I presented to the entire staff. I, every member of the football team was in the staff meeting. Uh, I walked in a minute late, and Carl Durrell looked at me and said, that's a fine. And I was like, there was traffic. <laughs> so that set the tone of the meeting. It was pretty awesome. And to be able to present to my old coach and Coach Wilson and Carl Durrell and Coach Rodriguez and Shivs there and Hagen and all of our guys, and to see the excitement in the room to be able to get up there and talk about the Dungeon Family kids and the guys that they should be recruiting and maybe they're overlooking or they're, they're already on, it was pretty kick-ass. And I, I remember at the end of the meeting, we were talking about – I've been working with guys like Casey Roddick, the big guard for, for off and on now for six months. He's been coming down and putting in work. Carson Lee and Jake White, a bunch of the offensive linemen. Lamman's been down a bunch. And I said this to Coach, like, look, this has the, – the, your football team has the same feel – that I felt when at my freshman year when we went three and eight and everybody came back and we won the conference the next year with a bunch of guys who, who had to make a decision. And I think they're a sleeping giant CB. I really do. I think that they've got a lot of potential and what I've been telling everybody from Nate to Carson Wells to Matt Lynch, who's dungeon family for nine years now to Casey, to everyone, the Texas A&M game, is the game where they determine if you are a Sunday player or you aren't a Sunday player. That's the one. They're going to look at that game and go, 
can you play against guys who are NFL football players because they, that, they're in the SEC? That's the barometer. I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket here, but if, if that game goes the way it should, shouldn't, shouldn't that project us towards being able to dominate the Pac-12? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think it's in in some ways your question is, you know, uh, does being a legit uh, SEC team, does that give you an advantage over almost everyone else in the Pac-12? It does outside of maybe somebody like Oregon, Um, you know, so, but at least in in the division that the Buffs are in, I imagine it would give them a leg up over everybody in that division. So, man, um, your ability, you know, obviously you're, you're in some ways, the, the, the weight coach of every college program is such an important figure. Yes. And he sets a tone. He, see, he sets a culture. He, he's the one who brings and develops strength and brings that to the table. And then he also is the one who reinforces kind of all those off-season goals that are upcoming and builds games like Texas A&M up yep. to where that it should be. So <laughs> your, your opportunity uh, for you to, to, to be with those guys and touch those guys in that way um, – that's awesome. That, that's awesome that you have the opportunity to, to, to do that and um, to reinforce in those guys' minds, those guys, particularly guys like Lambin who are trying to take the next step, that, yeah, this is, this is how you will be judged and evaluated. So when you are working out and now we are, what, March 2nd, you are March 2nd all the way through that game, you know how you are going to be judged by how well you play this game. So um, tip of the cap to you, man. That's, that, that's an incredibly motivating tactic that you pulled there, and uh, I love it. <laughs> well, I, I try. I've been, I've been learning from guys like you and Coach Wilson and Big Al and Canavis and for years, man. I mean, I know my football history, and it's one thing I try and rub off on my guys constantly is don't tell me you want to go to CU or LSU or Alabama or Nebraska or UCLA or wherever we're going. And then I ask you, like, okay, so you want to go to LSU, huh? Who's uh, Alan Fanica? And they're like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, well, you don't want to go to LSU then, bro. Right. So, so let, let's transition that now away from the bus, and let's hope they have a great year. And, brother, we will be in Folsom. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to the Broncos. Now, I have one question for the entirety of the Broncos segment. Is Deshaun Watson feasible or is it a pipe dream? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, everything in the NFL is feasible. Uh, but the, you know, where, where the pipe dream comes in is and how much you are willing to, to give up. And if you're George Payton and you're building this, this Broncos roster, um, do you bring in a quarterback who has the potential to be the guy for the next 10 years at the risk of building up the rest of your team? Uh, around him what you have to give up to 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 get that guy um that's that's where the rub is obviously and when you're trying to take an organization uh to the next step um i see value in both those approaches obviously a quarterback like 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 deshaun watson um not the same way of, of peyton manning but in a similar way of Peyton Manning, he becomes that rising tide that lifts all boats. If you're a young receiver and you're in the NFL and you have a chance to be a free agent, you know, are you going to choose a team with that guy who's, you know, best one of the best young quarterbacks in the league and projects to be there for the next 10 years? You can have one of those long, happy NFL marriages. Uh, yeah, so then he becomes a more attractive free agent draw. All those kind of things help when you have that guy in the building. Um, 
even here in Denver, obviously, but also the story nationally. And when I do all my different games, people have been talking about Drew Locke. So there's question marks about Drew Locke. So that doesn't help you get young receivers. You may have to overpay for those guys or other guys who want to play offense with this great possibly generational quarterback that Deshaun Watson can be versus the right. rest of your team. So uh, I say I'd like to try to see it happen. I've been in locker rooms with great quarterbacks. I see the difference that they make, not just, you know, within the locker room, but organizationally everywhere across the, the, the building and across the organization. Go after those guys if you can. I would love to see Deshaun Watson here, especially just for the the fact that we get Mahomes Watson twice a year. I think Carr's a hell of a player and Herbert. I mean, it might turn into the best quarterback division in football at that point. Absolutely. Um, speaking of NFL marriages, Von Miller. I'm of the mindset that it's not our money. What do we care what the Broncos pay him? They've got cap space. Why cut a guy coming off injury that has greatness on his mind, hopefully? And do you, if you're Vaughn, would you restructure for a million dollars a sack to make your 18 million? Ooh, wow. Okay, I, I'll, let's go with that uh, last one first. Yeah. Um, have you ever met a player who's not willing to bet on himself? That's I'm what makes saying. us players. That's what makes us ballers. That's that's where that confidence comes from. So, uh, you know, million dollars a sack, bro. You want to make twenty five million dollars? Give me twenty five sacks. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm I'm. I'm with you on that one. I mean, that's obviously a, a, a heck of a contract proposal to put together. Uh, if you're George Payton, you know, which, which side of that do you, do you bet on? Um, but I, if you give that to, um, I, guess, I would imagine any experienced pass rusher, they're going to bet on themselves almost every single time. You want motivated Vaughn, bro, walk up and be like, look, uh, you can get cut and go restructure somewhere else anyway because no one's going to give you 18 guaranteed. Or you can just restructure and we'll give you $1.2 million a sack and uh, we want you to stay healthy and kick ass. And then if you go get like 25 of them, we'll just resign you to a massive deal. I bet you Vaughn would be just like, okay, start just doing push-ups. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't even argue with the logic there. Yeah, uh, I, again, I would have taken that, you know, and, and absolutely. And, and when I was in my prime sack years, give me that. I'll take that every single time. All right, so do you want Vaughn back in Denver? Uh, you know, uh, I, I haven't uh, – Not not ever, want, not want. I guess do they need Vaughn back in Denver? There's the better question. Um, no, they don't need Vaughn. Um would it be nice for them to have each other here at the end um, <laughs> from a romantic point of view? I think so. Um, I, I think the contract at this point has to have some kind of prove it kind of uh, clause in it, whether the, the you know, the, the, the sack incentive you just talked about or whatever. Let's go George. Yeah. So whether it's, it's, you know, it's playtime incentives, it's, it's, you know, games healthy, it's, it's sacks. There's gotta be something like that in there. Um, I, I think just to protect the Broncos in case, you know, as you get older, the injuries begin to stack up. And as a uh, pass rusher, it's really your connection with the ground that makes you a great player. And you, as you begin to have lower leg injuries, you know, Vaughn had the ACL seem to came back well from that. Now we're talking about an ankle. Um, for a guy who's dip and bend and lean has been such a critical part of his game, uh, I can't help. But, 3D. You know, huh? He's 3D pass rusher, bro. Yeah, yeah. So I, I can't help but as, as an organization, if I'm wearing the George Payton hat, uh, yeah, I've got some concerns about that. So the contract has to have that in it. But, again, I, I think it, for Vaughn to go someplace else and begin, you know, chasing at the end of his career, which is what I did, uh, there's a certain, you know, coolness to that aspect. But it's also – I think it's actually cooler, particularly when you've, you know, won a Super Bowl with an organization and you don't have to go chase that part of it. 
to finish where you started, you know, kind of cement your legacy kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's a, a cooler way to go out than, you know, what I did, uh, two different teams the last three years, moving my family around, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and I, there's just something about Vaughn, the, the 58 and the, the similarities with Derek Thomas and the fact that DT stayed his whole career in Kansas City. I know he, he, you know, he, he passed away, unfortunately, while he was still playing for the Chiefs. But still, there's, there's something about playing somewhere and just – when you see a red 58, like the, there's no mistaking who that is. When right. you see a, 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 an orange 58, there's no mistaking who that is unless. Right. So – so that's my next question here, CB. I mean, obviously you're a student of the game, and, and I know you're a fan. Um, I'm a student of the game and a fan. And it, look, you're you're one of the smoothest pass rushers I've seen, and I'm an interior guy. So my like four of my top five are defensive tackles, and I can't help it. <laughs> but I've got guys on my list like Howie Long and John Randall, and I you know I think Dinkin Jones was the originator of the head slap, and he's nasty, and I, I just. He, he claimed to have like 30 sacks in a season before they even counted him up. And then guys, you know, like John Abraham, who I played with in, in New York, who was in, an incredible player and taught me a ton. And then Kevin Green, who might be my, you know, the Bay City Madman might be my my favorite player ever uh, at that position. And I, you played with Kevin. And I just wanted to get your thoughts mate, on some pass rushers and then and talk about Kevin a little bit before we get you out of here. Sure. Oh, man. The greatest, you know, pass rusher, best pass rusher, favorite pass rusher. I mean, it's just so, you know, so much different criteria to it, to it all. Um, you know, given, Boy, it's such a good question. Yeah, it's such a great question. But you know, I, I suppose in some ways, to 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 you know, really boil it down, you're picking up the sticks in the video game, and you get a chance to choose one of these dudes, and you're playing your homeboy, and you want to come off the edge. Who you you know? Who do you who select? Who are you bringing? Who are you bringing? Who are you bringing? Um, and so, uh, once I boiled it down to that, I thought, man, I'm I'm bringing I'm bringing Reggie White. I'm bringing Reggie White number one. <laughs> I don't know how you can't. Yeah, I you know, he he. I, I had a chance to look at some of these guys' stats uh, before we, we start the podcast. Um, in all Reggie's years, he had three years where he didn't have double digit sacks. Just three. And two of those years, he had eight. The year he had five and a half was his last year in Carolina. After he already had retired for one year and sat out. And they just brought him back. And they brought him back. He still got five and a half. So the longevity, the consistency, and let's not forget, those are the NFL numbers. You're going to add in the USFL numbers as well. So just because of that, uh, man, you know, the consistency over a long period of time. And then – you know, I had some moves. I was crafty, but obviously I'm a smaller dude. You know, the most I've ever really weighed in my career was probably 250, and I played close to 240, you know, probably 10 of the 15 years. Um, so I had to trick people. I had to fool people. The, uh, the So the ability for guys to just physically make a move and have it be done, that, that hunt move shit, I mean, are you kidding me? It's the that, best move ever. It is. It is. It is the best move. I'm just gonna pick you up and throw you, man. It's just. It's, it's just it's, so intimidating to deal. To imagine, and now you can't imagine. No, I. I do know. I've. I've hump moved someone before, and I've and got hump moved because right, I've done both. You, right, and because you're yeah. offensive line experience. More, more ways than one. <laughs> 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 On tape, shit. Right, right, right. So, 
Yeah, that 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 makes him number one. I got to give Bruce Smith, you know, tip of the cap just because of the again the longevity, the consistency as well. Thirteen double-digit sack seasons. Thirteen. Yeah, like my head's gonna explode. Thirteen double-digit sack seasons. I mean, that's like that's that Jerry Rice kind of stuff. Jerry Jerry Rice. If you want to somehow beat Jerry Rice in total catches, you could have fifteen. I'm sorry, not total catch, total yards. Fifteen one thousand yard seasons. 15 1,000 yard seasons, and you'd still be short. So that's oh that's God. where Bruce Smith is. 13 double digit di- sack seasons. That's amazing. Um, okay, so number three, I'm gonna go with KG, man, because uh, you know I played with him. Uh, the 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 ability for a small man to be the third uh, all time sacker is amazing. To do it as a guy who was forced to drop into coverage at least occasionally on, on different teams he was on. At least we forced him to drop back occasionally in uh, Pittsburgh, so I could get some chances to rush a quarterback. Uh, so they have 160 sacks uh, and the consistency as well. His last eight years were all double digit sack seasons. His last eight years, except one, he had a nine sack season when he was in Pittsburgh with me. So. Uh, yeah, your last eight years of your career are your best. That just shows you experience, wisdom, and becoming a technician of the game. And the mental part of it is what Kevin brought those last eight years. Hey, well, was he was he as crazy as it was projected? Because I love watching Kevin Green clips because he's, he's a psycho, man. And uh, look, there's one thing about psychopaths, and I know. We can always spot another psychopath. <laughs> in a good way in a good football psychopath oh man kevin is a man of uh, or was a man of, of just so many many facets so there was you know the, certainly the, the psychopathic uh part to him um at the same time he was a good old southern dude at the same time he he jumped out of planes for you know the, the national guard he and his brother uh you know he was the dude was a, a professional wrestler. I mean, he's savage. What, yeah, so you know, man of many facets, amazing dude. Um, but yes, out on the football field, led with the crazy, um, and then but then combine that with technique, knowledge, and experience, and just a, a, as he called it, a pure hunter's heart. He wanted to hunt the quarterback. Hunter's heart. I love that. I'm gonna start using that. Yeah. Uh, what about a guy like John Randall? Okay. Uh, yeah, John Randall is on my list as well. So I knew he would be. That's why I brought him up. So if you go with your, you know, your top five, you know, what are you, what are you trying to, you know, you just going most numbers. My, my thing's more like who I love watching and their attitude and how they brought it and just the intimidate. Look, I never got a sack in the NFL. I got moved offense, but I, I did my share in college of hitting the quarterback. I, I had nine when I was a senior as a three technique. Uh, there's, you know, I've broken a color co- couple collarbones. That's always a good feeling. Yeah. They signed liability. That's their problem, not my problem. Hey. The, intim- the intimidation factor when I moved to offense, and I remember we were, when we played, uh, we played Baltimore and Terrell Suggs and Haloti Nada and Ray Lewis lined up over me. And I, I remember like, oh shit, like here, <laughs> here we go. And I can only imagine what a quarterback feels like when he looks across the line and he knows, he knows, he doesn't think. He knows his guys can't block you. Yeah. And that's, that as a defensive player, that's the best feeling I've ever had. And as an offensive player, it is the worst feeling I've ever had. Uh, I reveled in that. Yes, and uh, I know you do. Many an offensive tackle, you got to be scared right now, man. Yep. got to be scared. You know it's a long coming. day. <laughs> you know I'm not going to stop. I'm just not going to stop. So just when you are just so tired and you got to take a break on a play, you know I'm just going to run right past you, man. 
And then they start going extra hard. Then I spin move them. Then I get Lean. back. Then I laugh on my way back to the huddle. <laughs> Until the quarterback, I'll be back. Yeah. I mean, uh, I just love oh, just the 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 psychology of of, of dominance that, that occurs on a on a football field and that relationship uh, between an offensive tackle and, and, and or an offensive lineman and a pass rusher and how either side can dominate that and how crushing and humiliating it is because it's the most hand-to-hand combat position of them all. You know, you can slip as a cornerback and kind of say that, use it as an excuse, oh, I slipped, I fell. As a pass rusher and offensive lineman, if you slip, that is your fault. And Mm -hmm. you can't use that as an excuse. You just got ran over. Not I slipped, you just got ran over. It's your job to get your feet in the ground, old boy. Um, So, yeah, I reveled and loved that and uh, in some ways still miss that to this very day. Well, hey, come down to 6-0 and we'll teach these boys how to pass rush, brother. Um, Last question I got for you. You overlapped with Walter Jones, right? Yes. I think Walter Jones is maybe the most pure left tackle I've ever seen, and and there's some damn good ones. I'm not trying to disrespect the greats, but I'm saying Walter was – it was effortless. How much how much did just going against him and pass rush every day and trying to beat a, a first ballot Hall of Fame player like that, how much did that help you improve as a player every day? Well, I'm going to take this. I'm going to flip it the other way. Walter Jones made me a worse player because nothing I did worked against him. <laughs> Love so, the honesty. Yeah, you know, that's awesome. You know, I, you know, like uh, I've, I've done a lot of uh, coaching, and and sometimes somebody wants to literally a coach or a player wants to come to the sideline and begin to like draw some stuff up in the dirt, and you're just like, what? We're not drawing up anything in the dirt. Walter Jones was so good. He had me inventing pass rushes up in the dirt. Okay, the spin didn't work. What if I do a double spin? What if I do, you know, just trying to come up with anything to fool this dude. Um, So uh, he gave me a shout out in his uh, Hall of Fame speech, which I appreciate, Big Walt, um, because we had some serious, serious battles. But I think if he had not been such a good player, I would have begun to hone in on some of my moves and really polish them up against the guy who was pretty good. But because Walt was amazingly great, those things didn't work for me. Um, But to your point, uh, I played in an era with amazing tackles, Pace, Ogden, Willie Rofe. I played against all those guys all the time. Uh, Gary Zimmerman of Denver Bronco. I played against, if you're in the Hall of Fame as a tackle in the last 20 years, I played against you. And I hated it every single time because I always wanted the easiest pass to the quarterback. I can't help it. I want sacks more than I actually want to beat the offensive tackle as much as I enjoyed beating the tackle. Um, but so, man, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's, it's a, uh, Walter, the smoothest pass blocking offensive tackle. I've ever played against, um, and there's no question about it. Um, so the last thing I got for you, CB, uh, is is simply that. Um, the first of all, when you shoulder shimmied, I couldn't help it. I shoulder shimmied too. I was like, oh, look at that shoulder shimmy. Hey, <laughs> uh, the last thing I got for you is simply that the the ability to play against and with great players, being a great player yourself. It, what do you miss the most about that? Is it is it losing and learning? Is it because that's why I tell everybody all the time: you're not losing. There's good players in the room. You're learning. You're learning. So when you get on the field with guys who just think they're good and haven't put in the work, you tax their ass. Is what what do you miss the most about 
I guess all of it. Oh, man. Um, probably at, at the core of it all is that, that, that just basic uh, get back up. You know, you get knocked down, you, you, you get back up. Um, but it goes the other way, too. You win, okay, win again. You know, so there's, there's, it's always okay, but what's what's next? So that that aspect of the game is is the part that uh, uh, I, I miss. Just that that competitiveness of of being forced to prove yourself and improve yourself uh, on a on a consistent basis. Um, that hopefully will inform the rest of your life. Um, but there's no there's no better avenue for that part of your personality than the football field. Amen to that, brother. The great Chad Brown joins us here on episode 105 of McChesney Unchained down here at DNVR Studio and Bar. CB, thank you so much for everything, man. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and spending your uh, your morning with us here in Unchained Nation down here at DNVR. And, and brother, you got to get down to the new spot in Parker and uh, and come put some time in with these kids, man. I I, I don't know how to pass rush like a, like a linebacker. <laughs> we, will, we will make that happen for sure uh thanks for having me on man and uh thanks for all that you do buddy take it easy you know brother go bust go bust and a huge thanks to chad brown for coming on the show and spitting some knowledge and and some truth and talking bus and broncos and so much more that was awesome um so this today's episode is going to be quick because that episode that uh that interview with cb was pretty kick-ass so Look, pretty much everything was covered, okay? There's not a whole lot to elaborate on, um, with the exception of one thing. The Deshaun Watson situation, in my opinion, is, is I think it's mirroring Houston a little bit. I think there's a coach in Denver that is wore out as welcome and is just here. Uh, I think that they are good at receiver, not great. Um, and if they have to give up Sutton or... Jerry Judy to get Deshaun. What's the point? Um, they've got an aging pass rusher, just like Houston did in JJ Watt. That's probably not going to be here. Uh, they have a tackle that is paid highly to protect a quarterback that's not there anymore in Tunsil. So I guess Bulls will protect Watson. But again, that's it's a lot of money wrapped up in two dudes, and you got to resign Reisner and Cushenberry and all those guys. They have the money to do all this. It's just a matter of what you need to give up to get it. And are you going to cripple your franchise like Chad talked about? And I, I'm i not saying I don't want Deshaun Watson. I do. Who doesn't want Deshaun Watson on their team? The guy's, you know, he's, he's a stud. I'm saying that I think Drew Locke could be pretty good if he could, you know, stop with the poofy hair crap and the dancing and acting like he's one of the boys. You're not one of the boys. You're the fucking quarterback for the Denver Broncos, bro. You're not one of the boys. You're the quarterback for the Denver Broncos, bro. And I hope that this is really pissing him off and he's putting in major work uh, right now wherever he is. And the fact that he's not posting is probably a good thing. Most pros don't. Uh, I do. I post everything. I'm a social media whore. And you're damn right. And it works, too. That platform's real down at 6-0. But I'd like to think that the motivation factor here for Drew Locke is through the roof. And I look the same way I said in the interview with with Chad Brown that I think Colorado's a sleeping giant next year, regardless of how hard their schedule is. They have to play us too. Um, I think Denver has the potential to be really, really good if Pat Schumer and Vic Fangio don't fuck it up. 
if they if they sit around with their sixty year old mentalities and their old school football mentalities and no fun and you know we're not going to change we're going to be three wide all the time we're not going to use a fullback consistently and we're going to throw the ball over the field and we're not going to maximize our running game and throw the ball out of the backfield and actually diversify the way we do things the Broncos are going to go six and ten. If Vic Fangio doesn't figure out a way to stop playing shell coverage and put Vaughn in situations where he want, he's one-on-one and, hey, I got an idea, maybe put Chubb at three technique and Vaughn on, uh, at five technique on the same side and an under front so you isolate your pass rusher so they can't run play action on you the whole damn game. Just a thought. Not, you know, I hope Shelby Harris is priority in free agency, and I'm sure it won't be. I mean, he'll probably end up with the Raiders or something. That's awesome. I just, you know, I, I'm I'm getting to the point where I don't believe them anymore. I don't believe Vic or Schumer. I don't believe it. I don't believe the, hey, we're going to make everything right. How? You're going to wish for it? You're going to fucking call Santa Claus and be like, hey, Santa, can you drop off some uh, competent coaching? That'd be awesome. I'm just saying, Santa's not real. And if your kid's listening to this, then he probably knows that. There's an E next to the show. It says explicit. Deal with it. So, I think that if we're going to get Deshaun Watson, we should fire the entire damn coaching staff immediately. 100%. And look, Vic can be the defensive coordinator. Just demote him and go hire somebody that can actually play call plays and motivate this generation. Because Deshaun Watson is part of this generation. If you grew up, if you had a social media account at 13 years old, you're part of this fucked up generation. Period. And he did. So there it is. And in the generation of social media where the players also have an opinion and people care way more about the player than they did in the past. In the past, they were just strictly, you know, rooting for the uniform. And that's cool. I root for the uniform too. I don't want the Broncos to suck. I want them to win. I also want the Jets to win. And if those two play, I probably want New York to win most of the time. And it's not going to happen, so suck it. I'm just saying this. Deshaun Watson goes to New York, and I'm going to be one happy son bitch. I don't care what they have to give up because we haven't had a good quarterback since uh, uh, um, uh, Vinny Testaverde was there when I was there. We had Brett Favre for like 15 minutes. So, yeah, Chad Bennington was good, kind of. The wet noodle. So, I, I'm just saying, like, I, I, all this wishing and hoping just to get one guy that's going to change everything, he's not Peyton Manning. He's Deshaun Watson. We can't just repeat the, hey, get one dude and it'll fix everything recipe. How? The rest of the division is stacked with young talent. If we want to get Deshaun Watson, that's great. Don't leverage the future to do it. Don't give him everything. Give him a little bit. Come on, sweet talk him a little bit, GP. Come on, man. Your name's George. Let's go, George. Get your shit together. Sweet talk somebody. Go down to Houston. Houston gave up Deshaun Watson for David Johnson and whatever fucking else they gave it up for. Who cares? Like, you can't get Deshaun Watson from Houston? They, they'll trade anyone for anything. They don't even, they, I mean, Bill O'Brien's gone, but the owner's still there. I mean, shit. Come on, man. Just, uh, just throw Vaughn and a first-rounder and uh, Tim Patrick and see what happens. They might buy it. I doubt it, but maybe. I didn't think David Johnson in a first-rounder would go for Deshaun or uh, the best receiver I've seen in the last 10 years in DeAndre Hopkins. So just saying. The Bronco thing sounds good. I don't know how feasible it is. If Deshaun Watson comes here, I'll probably get a Deshaun Watson jersey because that would be pretty cool. Um, that's a lie. I'm not going to get his jersey, but still. 
Um, it, it could be a good fit if. So we'll see. Uh, look, episode 105 is a wrap. Uh, thank you to Chad Brown, everybody down at DNVR for all their hard work, Adam and Allie for putting up with my bullshit. Uh, if we said something on today's episode you didn't like, I'm directly speaking to you. Have a good day. Uh, the Turning Point will be out. We're, uh, we're breaking down Phil Lindsay and that uh, explosive one-back power run he had against the Chargers that set off the comeback. Uh, so, football season's up. The schedule's out for the Buffs. The sun's coming out. The snow is melting. And the sun is shining on all of us. Have a good day.